Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Hello and welcome to the History for Weirdos podcast, episode number 38. Welcome back, weirdos. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm very excited. It's my week to share and it's exciting. It's good. Okay, awesome. And before we get into the episode, I actually wanted to just give a quick shout out to all of our women listeners. Happy Women's History Month. Yeah, we haven't said it, have we? No, we haven't. And we've covered some pretty amazing women on we this have. podcast. In fact, our very first episode was a woman. Oh, it's Kudu Yoon. It was Kudu mm-hmm. Yoon, yes. And, and you did a really good one on Madam C.J. Walker. Yes, I did. Yeah, we have some awesome his- women who've contributed so much to history. Oh, the one you did recently, the woman with the tattoos, Maud. Oh, yeah, Maud Wagner. Yeah, like so many and cool women. And the, the Pirate Empress. The Pirate Empress. Zheng Yi Sao. Yeah, there's so many good ones. And so happy Women's History Month. Right, and then once we get into April, we'll go back to just men's history for the 11 months of the year. <laughs> that does seem to be how it goes. <laughs> right. But hopefully we're making, we're making a change, right? Yeah. More representation over time will hopefully make it so that history is more equitable. That it's mm-hmm. not just telling the stories of certain folks, but telling the stories of everyone throughout right. history. It'd be interesting if we get to a point where we don't need like a Women's History Month. It's just like history, you know? Yeah, that would be nice. That'd be nice. But in the meantime... In the meantime, well... We have a we have a, We have a story about a man. <laughs> no, I actually have no idea what Stephanie's doing this week. It's actually a story about a woman, it thankfully. Because <laughs> that would have been quite a transition. <laughs> um, this week, for this week's episode, I am covering the wonderfully weird, very uh, amazing, iconic life of Josephine Baker. Oh, I don't know who she is. You will probably, once I start telling the story, it'll probably click. But yeah, many of us don't know, just know her by name, but she's very iconic. Um, Josephine Baker was a world-famous American-born French performer. I'll get into that. Okay. World War II spy. Ooh, I like it. An anti-racist activist. And then in quotes, I had to quote this from Britannica.com, who, quote, symbolized the beauty and vitality of black American culture, which took Paris by storm in the 1920s. Wow, okay. Yeah, she was really cool. But let me tell you a little bit about her background before we get into a lot of her really unique and amazing accomplishments, um, because she came from... Pretty much nothing. So Josephine Baker was born Freda. It's not Frida. Freda. Freda. That is a super unfortunate name. That was mean. That was yeah. mean of her mom. That's like a boy named Sue, you know? I know. That's so her bad. name was Freda Josephine <laughs> McDonald. No wonder she changed it. Yeah. She was born on June 3rd, 1906. So she was a Gemini in St. Louis, Missouri. Right. Um, her mother was Carrie McDonald. And her mother was actually adopted in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1886. Oh, snap. By Richard and Elvira McDonald, both of whom were former slaves of mixed descent, of mixed Mm -hmm. African and Native American descent. Okay. Really interesting, uh, just like family history there. So obviously, um, 
Josephine's mom didn't know a lot of like her biological family, but she right. was adopted by this lovely couple. Wow. Um, Baker's estate and some of her sources cite that her biological father was vaudevillian drummer Eddie Carson, but other sources dispute this claim. Um, regarding the true identity of her biological father, biographer and academic researcher who wrote a biography on her, Benetta Jules Rosette, she's the author of Josephine Baker, autobiography, uh, not autobiography, wrote that if that it would be near impossible to get the facts straight on this issue because, quote, the factual and counterfactual reworkings of her numerous biographers and Baker's own numerous and contradictory re reworkings of the story frequently lacked coherence. Okay. So as many, like, I don't know, like show people, because she's a performer primarily, a lot of her early years aren't super glamorous and are shrouded in a lot of mystery. Right, so a lot of different stories that contradict each other, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. So they, she, they don't know who her father was. I don't know, maybe Josephine didn't know. Um, but she grew up fatherless, essentially. Mm -hmm. Her mom did marry a man. I didn't even write his name down because he just seemed, like, nice. But he wasn't... Uh, he didn't really provide for Josephine. They had another biological child together mm. later. You'll see. Josephine... I'm, I'm going to get into that. Josephine grew up <laughs> in the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood of St. Louis and lived in poverty and worked from the age of eight. Oh, my God. She was a live-in domestic servant to white families. Oh, eight at years, eight years old. old. Jeez, man, that's way too young. One woman she worked for punished Josephine once for using too much soap in the laundry by burning her hands of an eight-year-old. That sounds like a reasonable punishment. Right? Like, yeah. what a psycho. Um, so Josephine really, like, her... I do not know the details. There were not details, but her mom and her stepdad were not providing for her. Mm -hmm. She was really on her own from a very, very young age. She dropped out of school at the age of 12 to work as a waitress and do dance performances on the street, you know, to like make yeah. tips and stuff. Um, but she was often unhoused and eating out of garbage cans. Oh, wow. So her like parents were kind of just not really in the picture. Yeah, not really in the picture. I don't know if this if the circumstances were same for her half-sister or if they took care of her. I'm mm -hmm. really not sure. But I do know she kept in touch with her. Yeah. Um, she married her first husband, Willie Wells, at the age of 13. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how old Willie Wells was. I, I, I googled it like crazy. I went into so many... I was like, how old is Willie? Please tell me Willie's also 13, I guess. I don't know if they would let two 13-year-olds get married, but I have a feeling he wasn't because all the articles write a man named Willie Wells. Oh, yeah. No, he was 18 or older, I'm Yeah, guessing. not a boy. Man, that is really disturbing. It's so upsetting. And for her, of course... That marriage must have seemed, if he was nice or not, it must have seemed like some sort of stability in her right. very um, unstable, limited resource life. But even so, even at that level of desperation that I'd imagine she, she could have been in, the marriage was reportedly unhappy and they divorced within a year. Wow. Yeah. She was married again at 15. Oh, my God. Late. No. <laughs> I know, but she's young. Who's going to tell her otherwise? She was married That's again true. at 15 to William Howard Baker, 
And oh, okay. this is when uh, Josephine Baker began performing in vaudeville. Like more, like you know, not just doing street performances, but actually like getting performances in little like vaudeville shows and stuff. Right. And her mom actually chastised her, saying that she should be focused on being a good wife and not on being a performer. Um, at fifteen, she should focus on being a good wife. Right. As one mom typically says <laughs> to their daughters. Say. Mm-hmm. So she got to travel a lot with this performance group that she was with, and she eventually divorces um, William Baker, but she kept his surname for professional use as this is the era in which she started to see more success. Mm. And she didn't want to like start over and people be like, who's this? You know? Right. So she just kept the name um, Baker. Oh, nice. And then in the United States, Mm -hmm. um, Baker landed chorus roles in musicals and at popular clubs, primarily in New York. That's where a lot of like big performances were at the time. Right. And she was often a favorite with audiences. She really stood out as bringing a little bit more character than the other dancers to her, her performances. And she decided, decided to parlay her successes by traveling to France. Oh, snap. In 1925, which was the peak of French obsession with American jazz culture. Baker traveled to Paris to perform in La Revue Neige. I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> At the Théâtre des Champs-Élysées, she made an immediate impression on French audiences when, with her dance partner, a dude named Joe Alex, she performed <laughs> what was called, quote, Danse Sauvage, so like a savage dance, mm-hmm. in which she wore only a feather skirt. Oh. Very... That's very risque. Very risque, but they loved they loved her and they loved the American dance style and culture and like black mm. culture that she brought American black culture, right? There's obviously black culture in France. Right. But American black culture that she brought to the stage. Um, the next year at this really famous music hall, Folie Verger, um, Baker was in a performance called La Folie du Jour, like the the fun of the day, the joy joy of the day, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Baker danced wearing little more than a skirt made of 16 bananas. Oh my god. <laughs> I would have definitely just loved to see, like, how, what does that even do? Like, what does it even look like? Let me show you. Oh my god, there's pictures? Of course. You, this is where I thought you might recognize who she was because it's very iconic, this image of her. The banana skirt. Mm-hmm. We'll share it on Instagram. But she wore basically like a a bra, oh, yeah. a bunch of jewelry, and a little like bikini bottom with a banana skirt. Oh my gosh! Okay, I, I, this yeah, this seems familiar. It was really really famous. Do you remember the show that we watched, um, the Lovecraft? Yeah, Lovecraft con- Country. Yeah, yeah. And remember, this is spoilers. Maybe if you haven't seen the show, it's a really good show. We highly recommend it. Yeah, um, so skip forward like thirty seconds if you haven't. <laughs> Remember when the aunt, uh, Hippolyta, travels back in time and she's in Paris and she's performing? She performs with Josephine Baker. Oh, she does. Okay, okay. That does sound... Yes. Okay, it's all coming together. There's a lot of pop culture references, particularly anything having to do with Paris in the 1920s to Josephine Baker. She was Mm. a big, like, in-her-day icon um, for pop culture. So... The show was 
of course, wildly popular with Parisian audiences, and she soon became one of the highest paid performers in Europe. Oh my God! She went from, good for her. I know. Good, she like, went abject poverty to mm-hmm. like probably a ton of wealth. A ton of wealth. She was highly admired among other cultural figures of the era, such as mm-hmm. Pablo Picasso, Ernest Hemingway, and E.E. E. Cummings. Oh snap! It is rumored that she received more than 1,000 marriage proposals. She's just racking them up like (laughs) J-Lo. Like (laughs) J-Lo. And she was given the nicknames of Black Venus and Black Pearl. Like the Black Pearl. Kind of like the Black Pearl, yeah. Yeah. A little before (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) But yeah, that's a good reference. Um, It's also possible, I wrote likely, but it's actually more so possible, that Josephine Baker was bisexual, Oh, okay. Well, I think the bisexuality is more confirmed. Mm. Um, but what's possible is that she actually had a brief love affair with the famous Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. Oh, okay. I know who she is. Yes. The two overlapped in Paris. Frida was there for an exhibition of her art. Mm-hmm. And they know that the two met and... Hit it off. Hit it off. And I don't know... There's no concrete evidence that they were romantically involved, but everyone seemed to think so. So why right. not? So they must have hit it off really well for at least for people to think that right right mm-hmm. so josephine had the attention of a lot of of famous contemporaries um in 1936 baker returned to the united states to perform in the zagfield follies i don't know what that is i don't know what that is either hoping for similar success in her home country right so it's been like 10 years a little over 10 years now and she's super excited to come home and to start performing there and sharing what she's learned in France with American audiences. However, she was met with a lot of hostility and racism. Oh. Um, and she was very disheartened by that. And she returned to France shortly after. That's sad. Yes. Uh, she married French industrialist Jean Lyon and became a French citizen in 1937. So like a year or less than a year after that big... I, I couldn't like find details call. as to what happened, but it just seemed like she was met with like verbal aggression mm. um, for her existence. <laughs> <laughs> for her, it's really reasonable. That sounds. That actually sounds like kind of like a good analysis. Yeah, right. She sang professionally for the first time in 1930, though. Uh, she also made her screen debut as a singer uh, four years later, so like 1934, in a film called Zuzu. Zuzu. And she made several more films before World War II. But like French films, I'm guessing. French films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. World War II. Oh, boy. Erupts. In 1939, Baker worked for the Red Cross uh, during the German occupation of France, as well as the Deuxième Bureau, the French military intelligence agency, as a, quote, honorable correspondent. She was a mm. spy. Oh, wow. She would use her status as a celebrity to socialize with German officials at nightclubs and to travel, um, you know, around Europe, Latin America, Surprised Africa. Surprised they liked her. Yeah. She was a big hit, actually. Isn't that interesting? That is, yeah, so much for the Aryan race, bros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was able to report back the information she gathered. Um, she aided French military officials by passing on secrets she heard while performing in front of the enemy or chatting them up. I don't know what she did. Uh, <laughs> she transported confidential information in her sheet music. 
Whoa. Because, again, she was able to travel pretty easily. It was just an excuse like, oh, I'm a, I'm a singer. I'm a dancer. I'm going to go here. People didn't yeah. really care. Right. Or suspect her of anything. Right, because she could. Because like, she could. So she was a spy, which is so cool. Um, after the war, Baker was awarded the Resistance Medal by the French Committee of National Liberation. Isn't that cool? That is. The Croix de Guerre, which is the cross of war. Yeah. By the French military and was named a Chevalier of the Legion d'Honneur by General Charles de Gaulle. He's, oh, wow. He's kind of a well-known dude. Yeah, there's an airport named there's after him. There's an airport <laughs> named after him. So she was, like, they were very appreciative of the work that she did. Yes. As... It sounds like it. As a French citizen, obviously, but not a, a, a native-born French citizen, and as a black woman, and that did not seem to bother France nearly as much as it bothered her home country of the United States. Oh, that's really disappointing. Which is very, very disappointing, and it's a theme that of her life that she was disappointed with this. It'll come up again later. Oh, my gosh. Um, in terms of family and children, after the war, Baker married a French orchestra leader. I forget which husband we're on. But so he, she married. Okay, so there was the one at thirteen, the one at fifteen, the one that the, helped her become a French citizen. Yeah, and now, now this, this is guy. four. So okay. this is number four. I think she has one more. Um, oh my gosh, she's <laughs> lady. Mm-hmm. She married French orchestra leader Joe Bouillon, and spent most of her time with him in her estate called Les Milans, which means the kites. It's a castle. It's not even an estate. I googled it. You yeah. can still visit it. It's a it's a chateau. It's a castle. Oh, man. It's so cool. I want a castle. It's huge. So when you said that she, like, achieved wealth, she achieved a lot of wealth. Oh, yeah. So I guess she was really, really loaded. Yeah. And then she also adopted, this is the time, kind of like a little bit during the war, but mostly after, she adopted 12 children. Oh, my gosh. From all over the world and was very proud to show people that humans of different ethnicities and races could coexist Aww, in a family. Oh, that's actually very sweet. Mm-hmm. It was a big, big mission of hers to show the, the possibility, mm-hmm. you know, the, a, a non-segregated world, basically. Um, so in addition to everything she's accomplished, she's also a mother of 12. Mother of 12. 12. <laughs> Pretty impressive. So... Let's check out the United States round two, all right? Okay. <laughs> in 1951, Baker was invited back to the U.S. for a nightclub engagement in Miami. Oh, okay. Baker agreed to the performance, but only after she won a very public battle insisting that the nightclub desegregate the audience for her performance. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But that's the thing. It was really common in a, in the United States for clubs to be quote unquote whites only, but have right. black performers. Right? Those Isn't that, that would so be the, ironic. Yes, it's disgusting. And I was so happy to hear that she she won, and the show was sold out. It was a huge success, and it was so successful that it was followed by a national tour. And she consistently throughout every stop in this tour refused to perform to segregated audiences man that's like really putting your money where your mouth is exactly that's pretty badass she used her celebrity for good and it forced every uh, many clubs like every club she went to either they said no and she didn't perform there or they agreed so it forced many clubs to integrate for the first time ever oh my gosh isn't that insane that is yeah this is 1951 right 
So then this also leads to my discussion of her involvement in the civil rights movement. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she met another History for Weirdos subject, <gasps> Sydney Poitier. Oh, my God. I wonder because... Because they do overlap. She's a little bit older, but they overlap. She was at the March on Washington. So maybe. They very well. Oh, that would be so cool. I know. I know. Imagine going back in time. Be like, guys, we're going to talk about both of you <laughs> on our podcast. And they'll be like, what is a podcast? It'd be like, it's this thing that's broadcast over the internet. What is the internet? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, never mind. Bye. <laughs> never mind. We don't have time. Yeah, we don't have time. Yeah, you'd, you'd make history. Even, yeah, keep making history. We'll talk about it on the podcast that you don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even with her residency and her citizenship being in France, she was very involved and very outspoken and, you know, put her money where her mouth was regarding civil rights in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, her opposition against segregation and discrimination was recognized by the NAACP. Okay. And the NAACP named May 20th Josephine Baker Day. Aw. We should so do cute. we should do a little something on May 20th. We should. Yes. Um, in 1963, she was one of the few women allowed to speak aloud. Wow. To speak at the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. That was like the subject. Right. In her speech, she shared about her experiences as a black woman abroad and in the United States. And I have a quote. Because, again, this speaks to, like I said earlier, her um, very deserved disappointment in her treatment in her home country. Mm -hmm. She said, in quote, You know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you that I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. And it's such BS. Obviously, yeah. yeah. It's so such a such a horrendous time in history, such an important time, but how ugly to right. have to be in that fight, especially if and I I do not I to be fair, I do not know. I'd imagine that um racial equality was not perfect in France, right? Right. But for it to feel such like a drastic change from your own home country. Yeah. And she kept having this desire to come home and to perform and to be rejected over and over again. That's just rough. It's just That's rough. That's really rough. It's unfair. And I, it's like adding salt to the wound, I right? I know. Mm-hmm. Also, quick sidebar. I just re, or just found out, honestly, just like a couple months ago, that the 1963 March in Washington was about like jobs and freedom. Oh, the whole thing was yeah. about jobs and freedom? Yeah, or something like, yeah, like I, I just assumed it was just the sole focus was civil rights for like basically oh, my entire life until just very recently. And I'm like, that's jobs, weird. Jobs and freedom. Right? Oh, I didn't know that it had like a theme. Yeah, I think that's like was the central point of it. That was like Again, the sub theme of civil rights. Yeah, jobs I su- and freedom. I suppose so. Yeah. Okay, that's really cool to know. I know, right? Wow. So American education system, everyone. <laughs> neither of us knew this. I know, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, Baker continued to fight racial injustices for the remainder of her life, and after decades of dealing with racism and injustice, whenever she tried to perform in her home country. Baker was eventually invited to perform at Carnegie Hall in New York in 1973 and was greeted with a standing ovation. She was so moved by her reception that she openly wept before the audience. 
The show was a huge success, and it marked Josephine Baker's comeback to the stage. Aww. Isn't that so, so cool? So now she's, like, old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now she's old. Yeah, I don't think she would so... like to think that, but sure. Yeah, also to my grandparents listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. So to honor, uh, you know, a little while after that, that big performance at Carnegie Hall, right, to right, honor right. the 50th anniversary of her performance debut in Paris, oh Baker God. did a, a 50. 50, jeez. Baker did a series of performances at the Bobino Theater in oh Paris. Oh my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> we sometimes call our dog Stella Bobos. Bobos. It's a long story, don't ask. But Or Bobini. Or Bobini. So oh. the fact that there's a Bobino Theater... <laughs> Um, just made my entire day. I laughed so hard when I read that. <laughs> the Bovino Theater in Paris. Stella owns a theater and she didn't tell us. Wow, thanks Stella, you dick. Andrew. <laughs> so, lots of celebrities went to go watch these performances, including Sophia Loren. Oh, wow. And Princess Grace of Monaco, who oh, wow. had been Baker's friend for many years. This was, um, I didn't include this earlier, but... Allegedly, the rumor of how they became friends was Josephine was at like a big deal club in New York, um, I, maybe in the 1950s. And they were, you know, New York wasn't segregated as formally as other parts of the country, but they were essentially refusing her service. Oh, my goodness. And Princess Grace of Monaco came over and was like, what's going on here? And then they were like, oh, no, she can eat here. And then... Princess Grace was like, she wouldn't want to eat her anyway. We're leaving. And they left together. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's the rumor of how they became friends. So she was one of the celebs in attendance. And then the performances went amazingly well. Like, mm-hmm. really cool reviews. Um, she kicked ass. And then just days after she was done with these performances, on April 12th, 1975, Baker died in her sleep. Oh my god, so she just had these amazing performances and she was like, I eat peace. Yeah, she was 68 and the cause of death was a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Which sometimes they, they can't really detect when those are coming. No. Um, on the day of her funeral, more than 20,000 people lined the streets of Paris to witness the procession. Whoa. And the French government honored her with a 21-gun salute making Baker the first American woman in history to receive French military honors. Whoa, that's so cool. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That, my dear listeners, is the life and legacy of dancer, singer, spy, mother to 12, and an activist, Josephine Baker. The end. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Wow, that was really cool. It really was so interesting to learn about her. And for those of you who maybe hadn't heard in previous episodes, we um, are trying to do shorter episodes for right now because I have like all these, this like very large, crazy commitment that's taking up a lot of time. and Multiple commitments. Multiple commitments, to be honest. But so we're trying to do a little bit shorter episodes. And I was like, oh, Josephine Baker. Like, yeah, I know a little bit about her. Yeah. That'll be a good one. And as I was reading about her, I was like, this was such a bad idea for a shorter episode. There's so much that I left out. Really crazy stories. Um, 
really interesting quotes by her. I highly recommend if anyone was interested in the information shared to do more research on her. Yeah. She um, was a cool figure. That sounds really interesting. Don't you also just hate it when you like, you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, this happened to me when I was researching Sidney Poitier. Mm. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, like he's a really cool like actor and mm-hmm. like, you know, and he's just so iconic. I got to like look into him and then you're just like, oh my God, he's not iconic. He's legendary. Yes. Yes. Josephine Baker, what I saw, I was like, oh yeah, she was like American, but famous in France. Yeah. I guess I, I remember mm-hmm. that the... The banana skirt. skirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, there's a lot more to her life than that banana skirt. A lot more. So I hope that you all enjoyed and were able to learn a little something. Um, we'll definitely post pictures of the banana skirt. <laughs> yes. And yes. Uh, you can, and you'll find that on Instagram. On Instagram. With, at History for Weirdos. That's true. And where can they email us? You can also email us um, at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Anything else before we say goodbye? You know, um, listeners, I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak like sneak peek of coming attractions. Oh, my God. I'm going to be uploading my very first video to TikTok tomorrow. Oh, or I guess today by the time you hear this. Um, and that's – so if you guys want to be some of the first people to interact with the to my new – or old TikTok that I haven't <laughs> really upgrade or up, you know, uploaded anything to in the last few months – then uh, you can. So it's your comeback to TikTok. It's my comeback, baby. And it starts tomorrow for the listeners today. Yes. Yeah, March 21st, 2022. Very exciting. Very exciting I deleted my TikTok in order to focus on these projects. (laughs) But once I can reinstall it, I'll go like this. Oh, thank you, babe. Thank you, yes. So everyone else needs to go support you in my honor since I cannot seem to have self-control and manage my tiktok addiction on my own it's okay yeah i it's it's bad it's pretty bad yeah and you can my tiktok by the way is roma.omnia so it's just like roma.omnia i don't know why i said that twice that was i was i thought i was gonna give more like clarity that second time around and i just didn't i just repeated myself it's a really really cool tiktok there's really funny ones there's really informative ones and andrew's tiktok account focuses on ancient history yeah ancient history so mm-hmm. it started off with ancient rome but i am just a huge history nerd so now it's just it's all over the place branching out branching out baby. i love it i also love that you will be returning to le tiktok uh after, now that it's spring yes we're in a new season happy spring everyone yeah, and happy spring equinox oh tomorrow's my grandpa's birthday i have to call him okay on that note <laughs> On that note, on that note, listeners, make sure to wish Stephanie's grandfather a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Grandpa Ernie! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, weirdos. <laughs> Until next time, adios. Yeah.